Well, do you do you still want to talk about the Matrix, or should we wait until like we have more time and Matt, or should we just? Uh... Hey, oh, wait, look, there's Matt. <laughs> Speaking hey. of whom, you officially start. No, uh, Chuck just now logged in, so oh. I, I am broadcasting though. So okay, because I'm totally using our podcast for my own personal gain for just a second. Okay. Because I I have no voice as we know, and I'm hoping to come back later, but. I'm going to make some people's day. Does this camera turn? Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm going to make some people's day and make them temporary YouTube stars. <laughs> okay. You guys are going to help me out. All right. Because they're going to say hi. Hey. Hi. Hi, Bella. Hi. And they want to see themselves on YouTube. Oh, okay. Bye. Well, we could, we could tell them to make that. Hi, Bon. How are you doing? Hey, this is going to be on YouTube. <laughs> Can you say hi to all the people on YouTube? Hi, <laughs> Can you tell them to like and subscribe and ring the bell? <laughs> like and subscribe and ring the bell. Oh, good job. All right, what are you Perfect. guys talking about today? Uh, today, we are talking about The Matrix. We are approaching the 20th anniversary, and uh, now is a good time to talk about... Uh, a movie that changed the landscape of science fiction and action cinema. We've actually uh, passed the 20th anniversary. It was this, I mean, as of our recording, it was this past weekend. Oh, I thought it was like the 30th or something. I'll, do I'll double check. I'll double check. Okay. All right. Well, Father that's... Chuck, Father Chuck, king of well actually us on the podcast. It's true. It's true. Oh, you're right. March 31st. Okay. All right. All right, so... guys. Well, I'm going to let you guys get going on the thing. And I'm going to hopefully join in later and catch the end. Okay. Um, but if not, uh, you, you're making my kids day because they're going to be on YouTube now. Oh, that's great. Well, I hope you guys feel better soon. Okay. All right. Everybody say bye. Bye, kids. Bye. <laughs> that's cute. That is cute. Um, all right. So I guess we're talking about The Matrix. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, I don't really have an intro prepared. Um, th that's our intro, I guess. And um, I should have asked them if they've seen The Matrix. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to say, you should have them try to say like uh, something about like take the blue pill or the red pill. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not, that's why I'm not, I, I need, I need to, you know what, Chuck? I need to spend like two years at UCB. Why? I bet if I bet if I spent t two years at UCB, or maybe just a summer, a summer at UCB, <laughs> uh, my 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 podcasting skills would would skyrocket like significantly. Like, like they would just improve significantly. I think they would. Maybe uh, you should do that. Maybe you should take some improv classes. I should go. I should find like one of those. They have you have a college really close to you. I'm without a <laughs> doubt, there's an improv group at that college. I'm sure there's like a like a comedy school. I hear in the country that books Mexican restaurants. Uh, you should do it. It would be awesome. <laughs> you know, that's how Will Ferrell got his start. Did I ever tell you about that? Like, did you ever hear about that? I, I feel like I have, but remind me. Mark, he, he was on Mark Maron talking about it. And like his first, his very first foray into, com into comedy was he went to like some really cheap comedy school where it was like some dude in a classroom in a high school and like five people. And you see him how to do stand up, and the first time doing stand up was at a Mexican restaurant. That's awesome. <laughs> and he said all he did was hum uh, the Star Trek theme, the original one. 
uh, his his penchant for weird comedy began. Yeah, but uh, we're not here to talk about Will Ferrell. No, we are here to talk about the truth. We're here to ask the question, what is the Matrix? Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. Because that's that's what everybody was asking in March 1999. It's true. The, uh, the, the trailers are very vague mm-hmm. and very enticing. Yeah, so uh, let's let's go back. Let's start off by by getting a little nostalgic. Uh, what was it like uh, when you first saw the Matrix and first heard about it? And uh, what was it like for you, Chuck, when you were a kid and it was starting? It was 1989. Yeah. I was 16 years old. Um, I was. Um, I remember I had a small Emerson television in my bedroom that. Uh, was almost always set to ABC because I spent most mornings waking up to Good Morning America, um, except for those times where I, uh, late at night, would switch it over to Comedy Central so I could watch The Daily Show in South Park and stuff like that um, without my mom knowing. Um, But I uh, remember seeing these commercials, these ads for this movie, asking, what is The Matrix? And it was just really quick, really quick, you know, montage of shots, I remember they showed the shot of someone jumping over a building and they showed like our Trinity doing her flip thing, not the flip. I don't remember if the flip kick was in or the, like the, the bullet time kick or whatever, but there was the, the trailer is just this really quick cut thing showing like all this is craziness asking what is the matrix. And I decided that's intriguing. Like I kind of want to check that movie out. And then my buddy Josh had apparently gone to see it. I didn't really pay much attention when the movie was coming out. It's just one of those movies. I was like, I'll you know check it out at some point. Yeah. And I was riding, I was driving with Josh um, somewhere and he goes, bro, you have to see this movie, The Matrix. I'm like, oh, I saw the previews for that. He's like, dude, you, you, you have to see this. He's like, I saw it earlier today. Like, we're going back tonight to watch this movie. I was like, okay. And because he's like, there's, he's like, I just, I can't explain it to you. He says, this just, it's, it's, he's like, it's in the future, but it's also today. And it's, he's like, it's just the craziest thing. Like, you have to see this. It's like, all right. And so we, we go and see it that night. And it was like his second time of the first, and it blew my mind. I remember him, I remember he thought it was the funniest thing that when, um, at the end of the movie, when Neo gets shot, yeah, I like let out an audible swear of some kind. <laughs> like, I think I yelled, it was his bullshit <laughs> in the theater. And he was like, I was so into the movie. Yeah. And then, and then I got into the movie in the sense of like, I wore a lot of black and stuff afterward. So, which set me up for my career as a priest where I wear black all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, you do often look like uh, Neo from The Matrix Reloaded. That's true, because I do wear the cassock, which he wears in uh, yeah. Matrix Reloaded. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, that was that was my introduction to The Matrix. Was I saw it um, within the first few weeks of it being out. Mm-hmm. And... Um, was completely and utterly blown away by what I was seeing on the screen. Um, you know, just like being a somewhat of a, you know, we've, we've joked that I'm a Weibo. Um, so having these like anime Kung Fu film things and action movies and just to see it all kind of mashed together into this science fiction thing was just like tailor made for where I was. Right. As a person, especially in the year 1999. Yeah. I have a very, very different... the religion stuff. Can't forget the religion stuff. Oh, of course, the symbolism, yeah. Which, you know, 
it's funny. None of none of that occurred to me until like a few years later. Um, but yeah, uh, that that's also very significant. And we'll need to talk about that because it did it did it did it did foster a cottage industry of really attempts at being a hip Christian books on like the oh, gospel yes. according to the Matrix and all that kind of stuff. Oh yes, and using I just remember like Christian radio using so many Matrix sound bites and their advertisements and stuff. Yes. Especially that you've been born into bondage, like the whole thing. Which is messed up because it's Gnostic, but we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, my, my story is kind of interesting because it, it's very different. I was pretty stoked about it, like everybody else was. Like I, uh, I, I first heard about it, the very first teaser that dropped was um, at, during the Super Bowl. And that was the first one I saw. And I was like, what the heck is this? I, I recognize Keanu Reeves, naturally. Of course. Um, and uh, I remember they, they, it was one of like, the, I think it was like one of the first movies to advertise a website. Right. Uh, and the website was whatisthematrix.com. And I remember going on my IBM piece of crap and like it just would not load ever. And so, yeah, I'm trying to check this out and it's not loading. Um, and uh, I just remember it was just like counting down the days. You know, I was a big, uh, you know, I was, I think I was um, 1999. I was, 15, yeah, 15 years older when it was coming out, uh, going on 16. And, um, you know, I was just became like a big movie nerd. And and I had my big movie nerd friends who we all loved action movies. We all love sci-fi and horror. And so like, this is like right up our alley. And uh, we were just counting down the days. Uh, I even put on my on my calendar uh, on <laughs> on the day that the movie came out, what is The Matrix? Nice. Um, and um, I remember recording VHS, uh, using my VHS to record like ET behind the scenes. I oh, know it was it was MTV that did like a behind the scenes special. And what's funny is that like I had the I had the captions on for some reason, and every time they would say Neo, it came out Neil. That's funny. And so for the longest time, I thought before <laughs> seeing the movie, I thought Neo's name was Neil. <laughs> because if you uh, still if you still had that, you could make. Like that would be so meme-tastic. Yeah. And, and, and you know, people don't understand, like back then these TVs weren't great. So like the audio wasn't great either. So I even heard Neil sometimes, like the part where, because they would show the part often where Neil would say, my name is Neo when like, you know, uh, Agent Smith is holding him in the subway. And I always heard my name is Neil. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like that knockoff toy that I've seen before. It's uh, ro Robert Cop instead of Robocop. Yeah. <laughs> Neil, the chosen one. Uh, <laughs> um, that can, can, I wish we had more lead up time for promoting this episode because I would totally make that an animoji an character. Wake up, Neil. <laughs> the Matrix has you. <laughs> um, knock, so knock, Neil. <laughs> Wow. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, anyway, so that was a big misconception on my part. Um, and then I, we, and then the movie came out. And so 15 years old, none of us are 17 years old yet. It used to be a thing where they would, we, the, the West Oaks mall, they dropped us, the parents would Whoa. drop us up uh, the West well, Oaks on. mall. Yeah. You saw the West Oaks mall? No, I did not see it at the West Oaks mall. I'm, I'm, I, that's, that's part of the story. <laughs> I saw it at the West Oaks mall. So we went opening night at the West at the West Oaks Mall. Okay, um, but we were under seventeen. It's rated R. 
they they back then i don't know if they're like strict about it now back then it was like no if you were under 17 you're not getting into this theater but we tried so hard we bought tickets for 10 things i hate about you and because it came out the same day and we tried sneaking in, in into the theaters like their big theater and i guess there were like multiple doors and we kept trying to go into every single door we kept getting stopped by ushers at every door <laughs> um and eventually yeah we had to i i don't know what we did i think we saw the siege i don't remember i don't did know at the same time that would be hilarious i think it, it was just out in theaters either the siege or like i think also the mod squad was still out um oh nice one of those movies i forgot what we saw but it was a huge letdown on our part and uh we told our parents about it and um one of our parents was gracious enough like okay well we'll, we'll take you to see it tonight and so they took us to uh, the movie co and uh, on uh, on uh, um, on um, uh, oh, what's it called, Chuck? Uh, FAO Schwartz. Oh, and um, I Point Orlando. I drive Point Orlando. Yeah, yeah, Point Orlando. Yep. So that's where I saw the Matrix. Um, and nice. you know what's funny is when I saw it, I didn't really like it. <laughs> it been hyped too much I, hype. I, I guess so because you know, maybe it's a couple years earlier. I saw Blade in theaters. And oh, the part where yeah. the part where Blade catches his sunglasses, and I don't know if it was hormones, but like I wanted to get out of my seat and just like and just like fight everybody. And I was kind of waiting for that to happen in the Matrix, and it didn't happen. And so I'm like, this movie sucks. <laughs> and and but my friends, their minds were like blown. Like everyone around me was like enjoying every minute of it. I mean, I was enjoying it. I liked. I thought it was cool and stuff, but I wasn't like. This is the greatest movie ever. My mind was not blown. I wasn't like seeing it wasn't like seeing Star Wars for the first time. Like how everybody else kind of describes it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I remember just being in the car, they were everyone was talking about it, and I finally chimed in and was like, mm, Blade was better. <laughs> and they're like, Shut up, JP. No, it wasn't. It's like, yeah, yeah, it was. So was face off. Face off was better too. <laughs> The movie with the guy in the black leather jacket that fights vampires is better than the movie with the, in the black leather jacket who shoots guards with guns. Yeah. <laughs> but it it, it definitely it, it grew on me, especially when it came out in VHS. When that movie came out in VHS, I feel like it it kind of gained more popularity. Like it was kind of a phenomenon when in the theaters. But like when it went on VHS, like I just remember everyone making copies and just passing them around and everyone having viewing parties and everybody like watching it multiple times, memorizing everything. That's when I got really into it. Yeah. I think it was one of the, it was among the, no, I was gonna say it wasn't the first DVD. I had a DVD player by the time it came out, so I, but I had it on DVD. I never had it on VHS, but yeah, when that, when it came out on home video, it totally took on a whole new life. And it, it's, it's one of those movies, like, cause you said that the marketing was, was one of the first attempts at sort of viral internet marketing. Yeah. And so it didn't have that. It, so it really built on a type of word of mouth that it, yeah, you said it probably didn't do all. It, I don't remember doing it that well in theaters. It was, I don't think it was even theaters that long. Um, I don't, I don't remember. I think, I mean, I think it did pretty good. I, I, I should have done my numbers. I think it did well. Um, yeah. It definitely, I think it was, just, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was a pretty big success. But I just remember like it becoming, I mean, it's like the only thing anyone ever freaking talked about when I was on VHS. Right. I do remember though that it, it, it gained a degree of notoriety about a month later because a month later was the Columbine shooting and oh, yeah. everyone made a big deal. The fact that those kids wore trench coats 
and they were trying to claim that they were inspired by the Matrix to do what they did. Yeah, and the Matrix's uh, soundtrack didn't help any either, oh, right. uh, which had like Marilyn Manson and Rammstein and Rage Against the Machine and all the bands that the Call My Kids hated. Uh, right, but but, <laughs> but people said they loved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, which I is- did. I did love Rammstein. Sorry. <laughs> And now he's a priest. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, it definitely grew on me. And, and then when I started going to Christian school, uh, that's when that's when I learned about all. The, that's when everyone was starting talking about like the religious symbolism and stuff and the philosophical things like that. Um, so now, as an adult, Chuck, what do you think about the Matrix? Oh, well, I just, thoughts. I just, Kane and I were, Kane and I were like, we're just going to watch this. Like not too long ago, we just decided on a whim to watch it, and it it holds up. Like I just, I really. Oh, yeah. I really, I really like the movie. I mean, there's, I have some, there are some issues that I have with it in the sense of like the, the justifying of mass killing as sort of collateral damage in the movie. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, um, I, I am, I am definitely of the camp that feels, well, I was going to say that I feel like the sequels ruin it, but I don't know. I don't know if I believe that I'd have to think more about it, but I, I, I really, the first movie is so solid and so good and, and sets itself up in such a way that the, the sequels were inevitably, inevitably going to be a letdown. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, in terms of, you know, watching it without all, seeing it with, you know, trying to keep in mind, you know, how much it was ripped off, how much it was oh, um, yeah. parodied, how much all of that. I just heard it. I was listening to a podcast I was talking about the Matrix, and I heard someone say something that I thought was really interesting. When the Matrix came out, if you were making like a sci-fi action movie, you had two choices: you're either going to do what the Matrix did, or you're going to do, or you were not going to do what the Matrix did. Right, right. Those are the only two choices. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it, you know, and it gave us a bunch of. I mean, there was a whole so many Matrix ripoff movies, like Ultraviolet, um, oh, which is awful, and. Um, um, I don't think course. those. I don't think those underworld movies would have happened if it wasn't for the Matrix. True underworld. What else is there? There's um, the Resident uh, Evil movies, even. Yeah, there's definitely an element there. I, I which, uh, I, but I'm thinking of um, what's that? What's that movie with Christian Bale and the Gun Kata? Um, oh, Equilibrium. Equilibrium, which is complete ripoff of the Matrix. Equilibrium is like, even though it came out before, didn't it? No, it came out after. It did. Okay. It came out a few years after. E- Equilibrium is like, it, it's it's like it. It's the college dropouts, the matrix. Like, no, this, this one's smarter, dude. No, this one's way more oh. deeper. Like <laughs> they invented a martial art that involves guns. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, so I, I know I, I think it's, I still think it's a great movie and it holds up really well. And I'm still amazed at what they accomplished with, I mean, a fairly modest budget yeah. um, um, when all is said and done. And to think of, I mean, just the fact that we live in a world of we live in a world of reboots and remakes for something to be just so wholly original mm-hmm. as the Matrix. Um, even though it's, I mean, it's in some ways it's almost it's the kind of movie that could only be made uh, because Tarantino was successful with Pulp Fiction because they're kind of operating on similar, on similar levels in terms of yeah. drawing on different resources and then kind of throwing them in a blender and seeing what comes out. It's also like, like star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, um, so you're kind of borrowing, uh, not necessarily tropes, but just sort of like visual style and certain elements from different 
well, just stuff. and not just movies, but also like comic books and anime and well, and I would say, but I, and I but I would say that the that um I would say that um Star Wars is more of a you know it's it, it it's 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 cinematic. It's not purely borrowing from a cinematic place. It's borrowing from you know the, the work of Mebus. Um, it's working you know from French science fiction comics. It's also talking from. It's also drawing from like old the old like Flash Gordon serials and things like that. Whereas I feel like the Matrix is drawing exclusively from various types of cinematic yeah. genres, like clearly anime and Hong Kong films, as well as you know eighties action movies, film noir, film noir. Oh yeah, because I mean, um, I saw a couple years later. I because I, I, I heard it was an influence on it. I decided to check out um, uh, Dark City. Oh yeah, oh which yeah, is a, which is a very noir film, mm-hmm. um, and I could see where the influences were there. I know, yeah, I know a, a lot, lot of people. people yeah, and I say a lot of people also claim that Ghost in the Shell was pretty much ripped off <laughs> a lot for the Matrix. Ghost in the Shell and Akira are are, are kind of claimed to both be pretty big influences. Yeah, which I I I I'd never seen Ghost in the Shell. Had I seen it? But no, I had seen it by that point. Um, sort of in passing of course i'd seen akira a couple times by then as well um and um so it was totally in my wheelhouse and like i said i think it's a movie that still holds up really well um and i think that what they do in terms of practical effects are amazing bullet time is still an amazing oh yeah special effects uh convention that they came up with and it's something that it's so it was so theirs that anyone else using it is completely like they don't. No one ever does it the same way. Like it. it, it right. It's like, you know. I think Alex Proyas. Alex Proyas, who directed Dark City, by the way, who kind of everyone sort of claims like the, the the big conspiracy is that the Matrix completely ripped off Dark City. By the way, um, but Alex yeah, Proyas, who directed that, Dark but... City, went on to direct a movie called I Robot, and there is so much influence for the Matrix. Like you tell, there are parts where it's like, okay, how can we top Bullet Time? And it's like you're not even getting Bullet Time right. Right. <laughs> Well, even then, like even even the bullet time technique wasn't even used properly in the Matrix sequels. Uh, like like I'm trying to think of like which scenes we're talking about. I don't remember what. When well, because like bullet time, bullet time as it shows in the original in 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 the first Matrix film. So like when like when Keanu you know does the the backwards. Oh uh, yeah, well, yeah. Well, that's not that that yeah the and then um of course Trinity's famous you know yeah, her kick. flying kick, um. You know, they had suspended both of these people in a green room and they had um, surrounded them with still photo cameras. And, right. they, and so it was a collection of still images taken, whereas later they developed a camera, like a single camera that went around on a track in order yeah. to make that happen. And so it's a slightly different technique, I think. Um, and it just doesn't look the same. Yeah, more CGI, too, because I'm thinking yeah. of the scene on the freeway chase that makes it Matrix Reloaded when the two trucks collide together. Right. That stuff is supposed to be like a bullet time sequence, and it's like it's not really the same. It doesn't really it's look not, it doesn't no. look realistic at all. <laughs> no, even though that sequence is probably the best part of that whole movie. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. I love that chase. Mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. good when Morpheus yeah. pulls out that katana, that, that katana, and he slices a freaking car in half. The Escalade, and he so pulls awesome. out the Uzi, and he blows up the car, and it, 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 and, and it blows up. Yeah, so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um. Totally, I will also, yeah. I will also say of, of when we're talking, when we're talking about sequences, I'm, I'm of the, I'm of the camp. You know, you're talking about, you know, when you interact with other people and their reaction to the movie, and yours was different than others. Mine was, I never understood the whole like. So many of my friends were much more in. They, they said the best sequence in the movie was the kung fu sequence where 
uh, Morpheus and Keanu fight or Morpheus and Neo fight in the in the dojo. Right. And like my favorite sequence of the whole movie is the lobby shootout. Like that will always be my favorite sequence of the movie. I think I've seen the lo- when I, when it came out of VHS and I owned it in VHS. I've probably seen the lobby shootout more than I've seen most movies. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure I've still owned the Matrix somewhere, and I'm pretty sure that scene just does not exist anymore on that copy on the VHS copy. It's because it's just been so. It's just. It's not even snowy. It's just black because I've, been, I've just worn it out so much. So yeah, I, I think I like that scene too, Chuck. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. It is, but, it is great. And, and like, I, I mean, if you go back and you watch behind the scenes footage, like it, it's all practical. So mm-hmm. like they had to rebuild the whole thing after so many takes, right? you know? Um, but it is, uh, that's so, it's so good. Um, so uh, I don't know if you want to keep going about your thoughts on the movie. Uh, I mean, what, what, what are you, what, what are you, where are you going JP? What's, what's, what's next on the agenda for you to talk about this movie? Well, I, I kind of want to talk about uh, just like what it, means to you okay um and sort of now that we're we've had it for 20 years and the wachowskis have have been saying for years you know um i remember that or at least none they have been saying there's i remember them saying quite some time ago is like somebody asked them well you know um it's kind of they're kind of famous for not telling anybody like what anything means right and you kind of have to sort of parse it out yourself which is possible uh, you know, the, the breadcrumbs were there. Um, and uh, the, the people, someone, somebody asked them once that like, you know, do you think anyone will ever figure the whole thing out? And they're like, nope. <laughs> uh, they're, and they're, because they're just like, has anyone caught all the symbolism? They're like, nope. Wow. Um, so, and, and I think that's interesting. There's just so many layers to it. And, and I think something that's always kind of turned me off about, not about the matrix, but about the sort of this discussion is, People keep comparing it to like, oh, it's just dorm room philosophy. I'm like, no, it's not. There's so much more to this movie than just the philosophical concepts and the sort of the Joseph Campbellian mythological concepts and the the genre concepts. There's also, I think that now that we know, um, now that we know that, you know, the Wachowskis are are, are trans women, uh, uh, I think that that movie takes on a whole new meaning. And I noticed the subtleties that I was watching it last night. And there's a scene in, when when Neo meets the Oracle that just like it just like just just jumped out at me that nobody talks about in this movie. It's just that the movie is so much about identity mm-hmm. and figuring out who you are in a world that will probably reject you. Right. And the, the the part that 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 kind of spoke to this when I was watching the the, the Oracle scene was when he was he was talking to the Oracle and um, she tells him to look at the um, the words above her door and it's the Latin words um, I forgot what the Latin phrase was but it means know thyself. Mm-hmm. And she asks, she she tells him to the actor. She asks him, "Do you think you're the one?" And he's like, "I don't know." And she said, and you know, she points to the "Know Thyself" quote. And she says, "Knowing you're the one is all, being the one is all like being in love. You'll just know when it happens." And I thought that was interesting because I never connected these dots <clears throat> because Neo doesn't fully 
um, become the one, or at least embrace the fact that he's the one, until <clears throat> Trinity tells him that she loves him. And it, it kind of, it, it's the, which is interesting. I don't know how, how kind of, you know, how, how it goes with, you know, what I'm trying to parse with the movie being about identity. Um, but I just thought that was interesting. That's something that kind of stuck out to me. And, and, and I don't know. What, what do you think, Chuck? I mean, there's, I've never really been super comfortable with the whole like love subplot of that movie, but I just always thought it was kind of corny. Yeah. It, Cause it feels like it's undeserved. It's not that developed. Um, probably. Right. Right. I mean, but within terms of like, but at the same time, like the idea of someone finding their, finding their identity through the, through as a result of being loved by and embraced by the Trinity is a very Greek Eastern Christian kind of thing. The idea that, because in in that is uh, there's a, a doctrine of the, of the Trinity known as um, perichoresis, um, which is often described as the dance of the Trinity. And the idea is that the three persons of the Trinity are constantly giving and receiving from each other. And so uh, that movement of giving and receiving, all of creation gets sort of swept up in that. And so basically, we are always embraced by the Trinity. Most most of us just don't ever realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea of so, there, so there's there's a there is a theological an Eastern theological piece that could go with that, and that basically when that sense of accepting being embraced by the one who made you or the by the you know, the Trinitarian being or whatever, like that that sense of 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 accepting that embracing and matter your identity then doesn't matter because the person that the Trinity is all that matters. The Trinity is what embraces you, and so it does anything else. Who cares? Because that's the most important thing. You know. You know what's interesting? Um, did Did you watch it on uh, Blu-ray DVD when you watched it? I watched it on DVD. Oh, you should have listened to the Cornell West commentary. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. If anyone who's listening to this and you're thinking about revisiting the Matrix, check out the DVD or the Blu-ray. And there's a commentary with uh, the Wachowskis. Don't do a commentary. They had, there's two commentary tracks. There's a commentary track with Cornell West and uh, another philosopher. I, f- I forgot his name. And the other sucks. The, the other uh, commentary track are um, some film critics who hated the movie. Um, that was the Wachowski's plan. The, the f- film philosopher, philosophers who loved the movie and film critics who hated the movie. Interesting. Yeah. And so Cornell West is one of them. And you know, as you, as, as you know, Chuck, and as people on this podcast probably know, Cornell West is, uh, he's my boy. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, he, uh, I listened to this like I listened to actually they do uh, commentary for all three movies and um, it completely just like opened my mind when I listened to to, to these guys talk about these movies. And so he, what they talked about in terms of um, Neo and Trinity and even uh, Morpheus is that they kind of sort of embody um, three very important characteristics. Uh, Morpheus embodies dogma. Um Neo embodies uh, salvation, I think. It's been a while since I listened to it, but I think that's what it is. And Neo embodies, or, or sorry, Trinity embodies love. Mm-hmm. And that um, Neo is supposed to be a Messiah figure. But the reason why, it, it, it kind of, the, the, pe- the peculiar thing about Neo as a Messiah figure is that in order for someone to be a Messiah as in a savior, they have to love humanity but he doesn't really kind of show signs of loving humanity. Mm. Um, you know, he does things because he believes it's the right thing to do, you know, like, you know, 
choosing to save Morpheus and, you know, because they, they've, they, you know, he's, he's, he's been endeared to them. Right. Um, but because of like who Trinity is by him loving Trinity, that is sort of like his way of like loving the world. Cause that's who she represents. And that that's like their relationship is that, mm-hmm. that love aspect. I don't know how much that tracks for you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the idea that it's the yeah he cares about the people who are enlightened is kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, you know he tends to, but he's a very he's a very reluctant messiah. Um, yeah, especially you see that especially in the sequel. Um, but the yeah he's that sense of that sense of freeing people because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. instead of you know out of love because he's he has he has no real interpersonal connections with anyone in the movie other and until you get to morpheus and trinity right um you know he has no friends that you can tell um he's you know he hates his job um and is just sort of an isolated individual mm-hmm. who is just sort of searching for answers and which which by the way is the one piece that i wish the movie did a little bit more is i'd love to i'd love to know a little bit more about neo before the movie yeah um like what prompted him to start looking for morpheus what made him think that this guy might have answers what well he was he was working at a software company and um he his girlfriend took him to a therapist and the therapist (laughs) had a heart attack and (laughs) (laughs) uh, office space is a prequel um (laughs) i uh not that i need a prequel but i just one of those things i'm kind of interested in um and yeah i mean it's um it's also one of these movies that i mean there's stuff in it that i still think of to this day Mm -hmm. like the the whole bit about um where she's where the Oracle tells Neo not to worry about the, is it the vase that he breaks? Yeah. She says, don't worry about the vase. She's like, what vase? He turns around and knocks it over. And then she says, you know, now would you have broken if I hadn't said anything? Uh, Yeah. We'll we'll really bake your noodle. Yeah. Which is, (laughs) I think about that crap all the time, all the time. There's not a weekly. I think of the fact that there are, there, uh, there is a philosophical concept out there and that there, that it exists that the, the, you know, cause that's something that like, um, that's something like, um, well, what's his name? Uh, Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard would talk about is once an idea is put into your head, like you have to engage with it, right? And it, it, it's not there until it's there. And so when even someone says, don't do this, now suddenly you're like, oh, well, I, I wasn't aware I wasn't supposed to do it at all. But now I now I kind of have to. Yeah, it's I mean, it's kind of also sort of the core of the movie, right? Like would, would Neo have become the one if, if Morpheus hadn't told him anything? Right. Well, I mean, yeah, which is the core of the first movie. You realize by the time, by the end of the second movie that that's yeah. not the case, but right. um, which by the way, I'm one of the few people who love the whole scene with the architect in the sequel. I do too. I love them. I love the sequels. I like, I think they're great. I like them. That, that's my, that's my personal opinion. Yeah, people yeah. hurt me. <laughs> no, I'm not going to hurt you. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm my, the jury's out for me on, on the sequels. Um, I, I think there's a, I think story-wise there's some cool stuff with it. I think effects wise, they got too self-indulgent. The the scene in the the scene in Reloaded with all the neat, with all the Agent Smiths just becomes just a really ugly, <laughs> obviously yeah. CGI fest that is not good. Right. 
Um, uh, yeah, but I, I, I love the Oracle scene. I don't know what it is about that scene because it, 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 to me, like I was watching it last night and I remember watching kind of like, okay, like, like kind of like, I, I know this part. I know what I can say about that. I know what I can say about this, but two scenes that really stuck out to me. I'm like, I'm kind of looking at this from a different angle now. It was the scene where, where Morpheus fights Neo in the dojo mm -hmm. and the part where he meets the Oracle. And I think it's because both scenes are sort of like an exchange of ideas. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the dojo scene is not just like a, it's not just a training montage. Right. It's, it's, it's Morpheus trying to free him. Yeah. And Neo almost sort of deliberately, like, you can't, no, I told you no one can control me. You know? Right. Because because you know if you if you watch Neo doesn't land a single punch hmm. during the whole fight except for at the end where he stops with his fist in front of Morpheus's face and he says I know what you're trying to do mm -hmm. and and I've 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 I'm started to interpret that as like you're trying to control me just like how I've always been controlled by the Matrix and he's like no I'm trying to free you and so I think there's sort of kind of like a struggle back and forth of that scene. It's sort of also kind of advancing the narrative. Right. And I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, the whole movie deals with the question of freedom. Yeah. And what degree and, and to what degree we are free. I mean, that's the whole trilogy is really about that. And again, like these are the kinds of things I still think about every single day about all the little, you know, sort of chaos theory, little things that, that mount up, you know, even people who say they're trying to free you are trying to not free you. Yeah. And it's kind of funny. We kind of learned in like the sequel is that even like the whole idea of the one is a system of control. Like, right. So, yeah. Cause it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it was, what was it? A, it was a fraction. It was like a coding error that they've had to account for an anomaly. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, the idea that they've, they've just sort of, uh, this happens every couple, every, every so often. So we know what we have to do to account for it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I will say the movie didn't affect me nearly to the extent that like Truman show did, which came out roughly around the same time. Oh yeah. Um, in terms of like questioning reality, <laughs> I know I had some friends that were sort of like, Oh, it's really trapped in the matrix. How do we know that we're, you know, they, 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 they took it to that level. And for me, the Truman show blew my mind way more, really? um, in terms of, yeah, and maybe that says a lot about my personality that I think this, I'm the star of a TV show rather than just another drone trapped in a. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I um, but I know like I remember Josh, my friend Josh. After we saw it, he said, "Dude, how do we know? How do we know that the the Wachowskis who made this? How, how you know at the time the Wachowski brothers? Like, how do we know? Like, who are these people? We've never heard of them before. And this movie comes out of left field. How do we know that they don't know and they're trying to free us? This is their way." They're trying to free us from the matrix, <laughs> which is like, I mean, it's, it's so it's, 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 it's funny. Right. But also like when you, when I think about the, what the Wachowskis and what they were probably going through when they were making this, like that, that is what they were thinking. Like that they, that they need to be freed. Right. You know? Right. And, and that's why like the movie takes on like this whole dimension for me. Right. They just need to take their special medicine in order to be the person they were made to be. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's kind of an interesting thing, right? Like, you know, it's like, here's your hormone pills or here's the drugs that you take in order to keep yourself numb. Which one do yeah. you want to take? 
Exactly. And I think there's stories, I don't want to like get anything wrong, but I, I think, I think it was Lana who said that she was contemplating suicide before they started production of the movie. And I think it was, she had, I think she was like in a subway station and was, was thinking about throwing herself in front of a train. And I think that's where like, where the idea of, of Neo in front of the train came from. Interesting. Uh, which is, which is interesting because in a way, like in, in from a trans perspective, uh, you know, Agent Smith is dead naming Neo because he keeps calling him Mr. Anderson. Right. Which, uh, you know, um, dead naming is when you call a trans person by the name that they sort of abandoned instead of the name that they've adopted. Right. Like calling me calling Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner, like calling her Bruce instead of. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it's usually very much intentional. Right. Um, and and it triggers a dysphoria. Um, and it's, it's so, and, and that's, it just it, it, like the movie kind of blew my mind again, which is interesting because, and it, there's it's almost kind of took on sort of like a Disney aspect because those movies are so much about about identity, <laughs> right, right, you know, about finding yourself. Uh, I never thought of the Matrix as finding yourself. I thought of it as like apotheosis about becoming God. Hmm. Um. And, and I guess there's still an element to that. Like I, I think that I don't think there's like any one way to look at the Matrix. I definitely don't think the Wachowskis think that either. Uh, but there's like, it's like a prism, you know, you can look at it from like a billion different ways and like each way is like, because I think they looked at it from the same way too. It's like, there's just like a bunch of different layers and a bunch of different narratives going on all at the same time. Well, this touches a little bit on an episode I know that we want to do, which is the con- like uh, the concept of authorship Yeah, and who owns a story. Right. And so mm-hmm. like there's layers in there because of these people and the experiences that they were going through when they made this movie. But those experiences are not, that's not necessarily what the movie is about, because as a viewer, we also experience things and see things that they may not have noticed when they were creating it. Um, and and so there is there for us to analyze as well from a different, from our own perspectives. And that's one of the things that I think is interesting about the, the evangelical Christian um like gravit- gravit- gravitating toward this movie. like Almost appropriating, that, if you want to use that. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Because, I mean, and like I said, it it, it, it revealed a lot to me in, retro- in the years that I've reflected on it. It's revealed a lot of what I think has gone wrong with evangelical Christianity. You think so? Yeah, because the movie is fundamentally Gnostic. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea that, and, there's, and there is an unchecked Gnosticism in evangelicalism. Because evangelical uh, evangelical Christianity's narrative, as we understand it today, is that um, is that God cares about where your eternal soul is going to go, and that this material world is destined for burning and destruction after the result of the rapture. And so the idea that the world is temporary—I mean, I had pastors growing up who would say that—it's like I don't care about this. You know, this is all temporary. Yeah. Um, that. You know that, and that, that of course is fed into politics and other things, like and, and economics and other things. But the idea then that, that that if the world is fundamentally a world, really where the spirit is true and the flesh is false, that's a gnostic world. And so the the idea that that evangelical Christians would gravitate to this message that basically says everything that you see around you is a lie, yeah, and that you need to deny the lie in order for there to be freedom. Yeah, I heard that a lot when I was a teenager, dude. And yeah, the Matrix brought up a lot and kind of illustrating all of this. Yeah, I mean, and I think, and I and I wonder on one on you know how this worked on two levels. Was it one 
did people see that that message affirmed their Christianity, in which case their Christianity is fundamental her heretical and they just didn't realize that? Or was this one of those things of convenience where there was just enough symbolism that evangelical Christians seized on it for their evangelistic purposes, but without giving any kind of critical thought to the rest of the stuff. And so, and so that, and so evangelicals have sort of morphed to fit this thing that like they carry the metaphor too far. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure both things have happened. I think there's sort of also an element of like, I feel seen. Right. It's sort of like, like a misinterpretation. I, well, that, I, mean, that, I mean, that's how I felt anyway, when I was a teenager, like, oh, wow, someone like is speaking about spirituality and a mainstream Hollywood movie. Like it's justifying it if I feel validated, you know? Right. Which allows it to also work. Right. Then we've talked about it as a metaphor for the, for the trans experience. We've, right. you know, it's kind of like how frozen, like the movie frozen has become, you know, seen as a movie for people of sexual identities, you know, right, to yeah. like, you know, for like queer people to like see this movie as, as though this movie sees them. Mm -hmm. Um, and the idea that, um, that it's kind of interesting that <laughs> trans people and evangelical Christians could have <laughs> the same movie. Yeah. Overlapping. Awesome. Love it. Um, but I, but I do think that, like I said, I think there's some troubling, there, there's a troubling notion to that because for Christians, and I think, which I think the, 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 the Orthodox Christian view of the world is a healthy view of the world, which is that, Yes, the world is messed up and broken, but God is working to redeem it mm -hmm. and not abandon it. And so you shouldn't abandon it either. Like, you know, you 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 love it to the extent that God loves it, but you also kind of have to hold it at arm's length. Um, I think is a much healthier view than that's ah, all gonna burn someday, so who cares? All right. Um, and so I so but that's such a it's such a fascinating thing to me that 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 a certain group of Christians would gravitate to this movie as though it like was their text. Oh, I know, you know? Um, and yeah. And like you said, all the, like all the Z88.3 ads and the, and the, um, you know, I, I remember the book, the gospel according to the matrix. Oh God. Just everywhere, <laughs> just everywhere. There were two or three books about like around that time that were basically riffs on the same concept. And that, that kicked off this whole cottage industry of books, like, you know, the gospel according to the Simpsons, the gospel according to, um, you know, whatever pop culture thing was out there. The Matrix was sort of the first movie to do that. I think that the Matrix is sort of where it started, and then it peaked when the Da Vinci Code came out. Yeah, and that's what's interesting because the Da Vinci Code is a very is another pro gnostic movie, mm -hmm. and the way evangelical Christians responded to that was to argue against it. Yeah, and they wrote but, so many books. They wrote so many books. And I remember um, Carl Smith, who was one of my New Testament professors at Palm Beach Atlantic University, he, um, he, he, was, he worked as a scholar of the Gnostic writings and Gnosticism, but he was one of the few um, sort of conservative scholars of Gnosticism. Mm -hmm. And he was constantly getting, getting um, pushback from a lot of the sort of mainstream Christian history stuff because... Um, sort of so many people had just sort of taken for granted that the Gnostic writings were um, that the Gnostic writings were sort of indicative of a true form of Christianity that was suppressed, right. which when you read the Gnostic writings, I don't know how you get to that, but um, cause it's such a bizarre thing, Gnosticism. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I um and anyway, I, I mean, I could go on and on on that subject. No, but we we should do a Da Vinci Code episode. That would be a lot of fun. Oh God, I've never seen that movie, and I'm really in no hurry to ever see I, it. I read the book, and I was delightfully entertained throughout. Um, just because it's just so it's just so bizarre. Yeah, um, I will say my thing about it is the thing I just get so friggin' tired of is the conversation around do Jesus and Mary Magdalene get married and have babies? <laughs> like, come, what are the what a boring conversation. I'd never been introduced to that conversation on Reddit. Like I I was I, I, like, you know, I, I was I didn't know anything about Catholicism or anything like that or anything about Gnostic text or anything when I, when I read it. Well, and it's so, all, so I was and it's I just, all yeah. it's all fundamentally predicated on the Diatessaron, which was um which was a Latin um conflation of the four gospels to try to force them into one story during the Middle Ages. And the Diatessaron makes three Marys into one character named Mary Magdalene. And so the only way that story makes any sense is if you assume that um, Mary of Bethany, Mary of Magdalene, and um, I can't remember the other Mary, but if they're, if they're all the same character. And they're not. They're not the same person in the Bible at all. Yeah, um, yeah the woman caught in adultery. Yeah, if you that's think... That's not what Leonardo da Vinci says. But... Yeah, but it, but at the same time, you know, the Matrix I think was responsible for pushing. You know, we got the Da Vinci Code because the Matrix created this space for there to be religious. I mean, overtly religious stuff mm-hmm. in a mainstream blockbuster. Yeah, and like and like weird religious stuff, not like not like you know, there's you know, there is no altar call for Neo. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's yeah, the, 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 I mean. The, the Christian iconography is very, is, I want to say subtle, like, but not that subtle, but, but subtle, but, but, but also sort of overshadowed by a bunch of other iconography going on. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of Buddhist stuff in there. Yeah. And that's, and that's another thing. I mean, the uh, it's, and there's that, there's this other bit of, um, there's a whole realm of liberal Christianity out there who sort of sees, you know, Jesus and Buddha as being one in the same and, right, yeah. and all that, which um, I learned um, originated from, um, um, from German theologians. Um, Isn't it like that, that Jesus took like a field trip or like Buddha took like a field trip to Israel or something like there's, there are some claims of that, but what ha- so a lot of that stuff entered into the, the into the ac- academic circles because of German theologians and German should peek our ear or perk our ears for a moment because these were German theologians working in the 20s and 30s oh, hmm. who were not considered Nazi war criminals. And so they were allowed to work in American institutes <laughs> of higher religion. And <laughs> so but these were people that they were actively trying during like the whole Volkish thing of of, of German identity yeah. were trying to do anything to divorce Jesus from his Jewish roots. And so they pushed this idea that Jesus has more in common with Buddhism in order to distance Jesus from Judaism. Jeez. So when, when you hear people who think they're all enlightened saying this kind of stuff, just know those are Nazi ideas. <laughs> That's wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> um, I, I wish we could talk about some of the other characters in the movie. Um, we didn't talk about Cipher. Oh, Cipher, uh, played by Joey Pants, uh, as as he's as known to be called, Joey Pantaleone, yeah. who's um, yes. kind of a go-to actor for the Wachowskis. Yes, because he was in um, Bound. Yeah, 
from their first actor's work with the, yeah. he was bound and uh I th- I don't know. I, don't, I can't remember if he was in like Jupiter Ascending or <laughs> Speed I Racer. See, I need to see both of those movies. You do. We need to talk. And yeah, those are like both two movies that we should be talking about on this podcast. Um, Speed Racer is great. Uh, Jupiter Ascending, I need to see again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's something. Um, but yeah, uh, Cypher, uh, interesting character. Um, that's kind of one of those characters that's sort of like is you kind of call into question the idea of determinism. Like is, is he playing a significant role in everything that's happening? Um, or like, I don't know. What, what do you think about Cypher as a character? Chuck, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on, on him. Like, is, is he supposed to be like, is he supposed to be Judas? Uh, totally. Yeah. And I, I also, I think of Cypher, um, every time I have a, a well, a, a, well, a properly cooked steak. I do too. <laughs> Um, why didn't I take the blue pill? But yeah, the ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Um, I, um, Cypher, the idea that what well, his backstory is that he was picked because he was initially thought to be the one. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I heard that. That's, that's the, that's what I understand. The backstory is, is really? that I didn't know that. And, um, and then they realized he wasn't because I guess the Oracle flat told him he wasn't or whatever. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. You wonder like, what did the Oracle tell Cypher? Yeah. Hmm. But, you know, but it also plays into this kind of, there's this Gnostic thing where Judas, you know, Judas was sort of told by God that this was the role he had to play. Yeah. And so is Judas really, if, if, if the crucifixion is necessary, for the salvation of man, how can Judas be held responsible? Like how can Judas be seen as a guilty person? And there's, a, there's been a lot of st- stuff about that over the years over the centuries, but, well, yeah. but I, but yeah, so Cypher's totally a Judas character. Um, Cypher is, you know, the fact that he's willing to turn on these people that clearly cared for him. Yeah. Uh, makes him a really wicked person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I mean, he's a secondary villain, obviously, to Smith. Right. Um, I mean, I, he's a character. Like, I, I think it was, I, I don't know if it was just that goatee, but I, I just did not trust him from the get-go. Bald with a goatee, classic uh, comic shop guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and the fact that he's kind of like constantly belittling things you know it's clear that neo is picking up on the fact that he's there's something not right with him yeah it's this really skeezy crush on trinity yeah which i mean what does that say about sort of like their their roles like the judas character in love with the trinity but it's like kind of gross yeah yeah layers yeah (laughs) um and then there's mouse mouse oh poor mouse he tried. He tried. He just, <laughs> he created his little porn subroutine and died for it. You know. You know what I really love about this movie, and I, I kind of noticed so while, while watching it last night. Just kind of really, kind of just reel back for a minute from about just sort of the talk about philo- philosophy and stuff and spirituality. Um, I love the structure of it because there is so much time devoted to just like explaining everything, and. Um, getting people into 
the world and the concepts. And it's like, it's so heavy and it's so like, what? And you would think like, man, we're going to lose them if we just keep going down this direction. But the third act kicks in and it's like, okay, this is where it gets fun. Oh yeah. And it's just like, like that, 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 that was a good, that was a, a shootout. Um, yes, <laughs> like it's 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 shootouts, it's kung fu, it's helicopter chases, it's explosions, uh, it, it and it's like it's just like the most glorious, probably the most glorious payoff in action cinema. Yes, just the the, the most glorious spectacle of payoffs. Yes, without yeah. a doubt, and then it and it and it, and it yeah, because like you said it's it's all exposition and intro leading up to the third act. Yeah. And when when Neo makes a choice to go back in and and rescue Morpheus, it is a it is nonstop till the end of the movie. Oh, I know. At least up until about like you know when, the, which is funny because Smith kills him. That's when it, so that's when the action pretty much ends. Right. <laughs> all, all of that leading up to Smith kills him, and it's 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 exactly what you know the Oracle said would happen. Right, which is why you can understand why I why I exclaimed profanity in a movie theater <laughs> when that happened. Yeah, because um, like it's just getting good, and you kill the guy. Yeah, um, and, then, and then and then he comes back, and it is badass. And and then Agent Smith uh, accepts Neo into his heart. <laughs> true. <laughs> Agent Smith has his altar call moment. <laughs> it's true. That's that's what salvation looks like, folks. That's true. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that is sort of like what they what they make it out to be in the sequels, right? Because like he, yeah. Because it's like you know when when that happened, he liberated Smith. Even, right. I mean, Smith says that even though I, I'm liberated, but even though you've liberated me, you've taken away my purpose. Right. Because he's not supposed to be liberated. Right, which is interesting parallel. There's a story in the Bible, um, in the in the in the Gospels, where there's this guy. Um, it's in the Gospel of John. He's at the pool of Bethesda, and this is this crippled guy. He can't move his legs. Um, he's lame from birth. It says, and there's this angel that stirs the waters every day, and people who touch the waters get the first person to touch the water get in the water gets healed. And so this guy tries constantly to get into the pool of Bethesda in order to be healed, and it doesn't happen for him. And so Jesus comes along and heals the guy. And then the dude immediately runs and tells the Pharisees about, uh, he, he says, here's the guy. Like it, and it's more than just sort of like, hey, here's good news. There's almost like a, oh, here's a dude you're looking for. He's over here. Yeah. And it suggests the way that I've interpreted the story over the, in recent years. It suggests to me that similar thing to Smith that sometimes we think we want to be liberated, but we don't know what liberation means. And so when liberation happens, it's sort of like, oh, I've defined my whole life by this particular struggle and this particular identity. And now that I'm free, I don't know what to do. Right. And so now I'm just going to get angry and lash out. All right. Well, that's, um, that's all the time we have for today, folks. Um, we, uh, we, uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, go out and watch the matrix again and watch it with that, uh, that Cornell West commentary track and have your mind blown. Watch all three of them. Yeah. Um, and, and, and watch it. And maybe, maybe if you can try to find someone who's never seen it before and watch it with them. Cause that's one thing I'd be curious to find is like, is this a movie that really hits us 
as as Gen X Xennials? Is that like is this like a thing that's really ours or is it truly a timeless movie? I'd be interested in knowing that too because you know we we've talked about how, like how much has been ripped off. Would people even be surprised? You know, when they watch it, would 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 they be? Yeah, would it just be sort of like spot the reference? If yeah, they watch it. Yeah, I'd be interested in knowing because that's how people feel. Like I, I, I've I've shown Raiders of the Lost Ark to people who have never seen it before. It's like I feel like I've already seen this movie. Like, right. well, it's been it's influenced forty years of action cinema. So yeah, yeah. Um, I um I, I also wonder about um. One thing we didn't even we didn't touch on is the way that the ideas of them. I mean, we talked a little bit about it, but the the ways the ideas of the Matrix have been perverted, like with the men's rights activists and all oh, that yeah. kind of stuff. And I and I wonder how much of that has also impacted it in terms of its pop culture reception. Yeah, right. that's that's such a bummer because Matrix rules. It does rule, oh, and like it, thing. And if it's a and if it's a metaphor for trans identity, I know. Then that's kind of hilarious that that these guys totally miss it. Take it back. We're going to take it back. Take it back for the MRAs. That's right. All right. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, everyone, remember to have a great week. Join us again next time. And good journey. Good journey. Cool. What is the Matrix?